Welcome back to the Sporting Ones podcast with Rowie and Hados. First time for 2019 speaking about the English Premier League. It's been a long time coming, Hados. Yes, hello, Mr. Roy. It's good to sit and have a Premier League chat again. It's been a while. It has been. Uh, a lot has transpired and a lot has changed uh, in that time frame, especially with certain clubs at the top of the table. Yeah, there was uh, a bit of a dip in form in, in City, which no one saw coming. Um, and now Man United have been resurrected from the dead. Yes, the renaissance of Man United. And uh, also, yeah, City stumbled, but um, they've come back certainly with a bit of a vengeance. And uh, it's going to be an interesting finish to the end of the season. Chelsea and Arsenal have been a bit so-so, and they've left the door ajar for Man United now. Yeah, and uh, those two teams face off this week in uh, what will, again, play a pivotal role in how Man U finish off the season. And also, I mean, it's it's not just the top of the table where all the action is. Down the bottom is where we've seen a bit of action as well because Fulham have had their moments. Newcastle looked like they were escaping the relegation zone. Now they're back in it. Cardiff are uh, just hovering above. Southampton have had a bit of a resurrection under Ralph Hassan Hudul. I don't mind saying that name, by the way. I just I'll, I'll, could say that a few times during the uh, during the podcast. I uh, snuck it into a fantasy one last week too. I reckon. I did. Yes. No. I do. I do like the name. It just rolls off the tongue. Uh, and Burnley as well. They've they've uh, hit a bit of form too. They've won their last three. Yeah, Palace as well, and uh, they caused probably the upset of the season. If I do remember rightly, they were paying twenty dollars. For the win at the Etihad, yeah, that that was a huge, huge result. Considering uh, City, then that was the second game they lost on the trot, which just is unheard of. That was the first game uh, they lost on the trot, and then they followed it up. Both times, you have to say they were unlucky because there was the uh, world-class strike, which I don't think will be top for goal of the season from Andreas Townsend on the volley. If you haven't seen it, do yourself a favour. Look it up on YouTube and just strap yourself in. And then against Leicester, Ricardo Pereira from absolutely nowhere on the angle just fires in an absolute rocket, which I don't think three goalkeepers would have stopped. And beat Man City as well. Yeah, and it, it can be a little bit misleading too because if you look at the stats in those games, they, they had 79% possession against Palace and they had 19 shots. And then against Leicester, they had 67% possession. They had fewer shots, they only had 11 that time, but um, they certainly dominated the ball. They did, but what they allowed though, which they hadn't allowed previously, was more um, more shots from their opposition. Yeah, and uh, Fernandinho was missing in those two games, which uh, just shows the importance that, that he carries with that team. He breaks up opposition's attack and then uh, lets the midfielders do the talking after that. So he was a huge loss for them. And now he's back. It's no surprise that they're winning again. Yeah, and you could see that in the Liverpool game. He uh, made a statement very early on where he should have got uh, carded, actually, but he didn't. Um He's definitely their barometer, and he screens a lot of the opposition attacks. I think they walk a hell of a lot taller when um, he's in the side. A few other sides that um, 
sort of we're up near the top 10 and have sort of dropped off a bit. Bournemouth have dropped off a bit, um, but that was always going to happen with their draw. Brighton sort of come back down without Matty Ryan in goals. Not that I don't, not that I think that's played a part, but again, they've also had a run now where they've um, played against top class opposition, starting to probably. That's probably about where they should be in twelfth. Um, sorry, thirteenth. Um, Everton. Uh, it's hard to gauge. There's three sides that are hard to gauge: Leicester, West Ham, Everton, and even Wolves. Are four sides. Yeah, and it's no surprise that they're all after one another in the in the ladder too, in their little clump. In and the they're middle. constantly changing positions as well. It's hard to know where they're going to finish up. Like we've predicted um, Everton and West Ham to finish in the top 10, but we don't know whether that's going to happen because it constantly changes. Yeah, and uh, as you said, Bournemouth too, they, they dropped right out now. They're, they're 12th and uh, a few games out of that. Sorry, a few points out of the out of the 10 and they still have a pretty tough draw so it's hard to see where they're going to get too many points uh for the next month or so yeah and that and that's i guess probably looking at their side i mean they had a great start to the season uh wilson was flying fraser was flying fraser's still um having a really good season equal on assists with uh eden hazard but it's now we'll see what they're made of and where they'll finish up and whether they can still make it into that top 10 uh, and whether they lose Callum Wilson this transfer window. Yeah, that's right. And the windows open back up. So there's going to be a few key signings which could really uh, help some teams and propel them up the ladder or it might sort of, yeah, go the other way if they don't make those sort of trades. And we've seen two this week. Uh, now, one was, uh, which I know the player very well, of course, is Ryan Babel uh, playing in Turkey. Uh, he's transferred to Fulham on loan for uh, until the end of the season to try and help them uh, escape relegation. Uh, I think Ranieri can get a bit out of him too. So, And he's, and he's experienced now. It's not like his first uh, rodeo in the Premier League back with Liverpool when he was 19, 20. So he has learned a lot. He's travelled a lot. And I think he can uh, definitely push uh, Camera out of the side after their um, duelling with uh, Mitrovic just on pitch and now uh, taking it to the yoga sessions. Yeah, that's uh, pretty concerning. But I think uh, Ranieri's picked his side. He left Kamara out of the team uh, on the week just gone. so And maybe the signing of Babel was even further proof of that. And they're going to stick with Mitrovic and say bye-bye to Kamara. And the other one, which has consequences at the top end of the table, and he's back reunited with one of his favourite managers. It's Gonzalo Higuain. Um, now, I had the um, pleasure of watching him up close when he was playing for AC Milan in the Europa League. He's a very talented striker. He knows what positions to get into. He knows what runs to make. He knows how, more importantly, Sari ball is played um, under Mauricio Sari. This will also, I think, help ease and Hazard and just ease the stress on him a bit because Murata and Giroud have struggled. Look, I hate to say it, those boys would struggle to score in a brothel at the moment. <laughs> I know, and isn't it so disappointing because Murata just showed uh, a bit of flash of brilliance when he first came in. He netted a hat-trick at one point and had a few games where he looked like he was really clicking in the Premier League, but since then it's a bit all been downhill and I think the signing of Higuain, um, maybe he's probably getting on an age a bit, but they've still probably got a little left life, uh, sorry, life left in him. 
the 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 barnyard could be wide open and those boys still can't put it in there. That that's the problem. And I saw that also firsthand. Open goal, open header. Somehow Murata had escaped Van Dyke, well over the bar. Yeah, that's uh, that's what he does best. Murata misses the easy ones. So yeah, I think uh, this could be a pretty pivotal signing for his career too. It's not only that if he if he's not missing open goals, Murata. He's constantly offside. He, he, he needs to have a look at the rule books and just realise that he's just got to be back a little bit from that last defender when he makes those runs, not in front. Jeez, you, you really got it against him, don't you? What, is there some sort of vengeance there against him? Uh, no, well, look, maybe for fantasy last year, I don't know. I probably did. I think I did have him at one point. He probably failed me. So maybe it's a bit of that coming back. But um, no, uh, maybe I'm just taking the heat off the um, stodgy Arsenal defence. There you go. All right, so moving on, we are going to talk about the Harry Kane injury. Oh, your voice. What, what that means for, for Spurs. This is a sore point for you, isn't it? This, is going to, this, this segment's going to hurt. Do you want me to just kick it off or do you want to keep going with it? Uh, you can keep going with it. All right, so now it was a bad challenge by Phil Jones, which apparently went unpunished. And um, now we've got Harry Kane sitting probably in a moon boot, I would assume, until sometime in March. And in that time, there are 11 crucial games which could define or totally destroy Spurs' season. Add to that, you've also got the brilliance of the scheduling of the Asian Federation, just putting the Asian Cup on in January and not learning from the African Nations Cup that perhaps these tournaments belong in June and July. I know. What a time to have the Asian Cup. What... uh... (laughs) It happens every year with poor old Kane. He gets his ankles trod on and they swell up and he misses roughly about a month. So he does actually uh, show that he's a bit of a fast healer too. So he sometimes comes back a bit early, but um, definitely this is going to be the toughest test that Spurs have ever faced without him. As he said, Son, who's been in great form, is gone. And I think together him and Harry Kane have scored about 50% of our goals in the last month or so. I saw a stat like that. So, yeah, it's going to be really tough. I mean, as far as our Premier League schedule goes, I think this is actually the best time to lose those sort of players because uh, other than maybe Watford or perhaps Leicester, that's going to be our toughest in the next five or so game weeks. But definitely we're going to feel it in the EFL Cup, which is on Friday. Uh, next Friday, that is. And then definitely the the first round of the Champions League. But old Sonny Boy, could he'll be back for that. So that's at least some solace there. So, yeah, that, that's a problem. You're fighting on four fronts. You've got the Premier League. You've got the Carabao Cup, which you've got Chelsea at the bridge, and it's only a 1-0 advantage. So I wouldn't be confident going to the bridge with that, despite Chelsea's um, sort of scoring woes. Um, you've got the FA Cup. And then you've got the Champions League as well, in which case you've got, you haven't just got a Schalke like um, Manchester City have managed to pull out because they just had a good run. You've got Borussia Dortmund, who are probably one of the top five clubs in Europe at the moment. Well, they call it the Champions League for a reason. And obviously, you're going to come up against quality. So if we're not good enough to beat him, then obviously we don't deserve it. So, um, Having said that, yeah, Kane is going to be a huge loss. And I think we just spotted that they might be 
uh, considering a loan option. Do you want to rem- <laughs> have a talk about that? Well, that's if Liverpool want to let Divock Origi leave on loan oh, yeah. and to a title rival. There's a lot of water to go under the bridge there. All the minutes he plays for Liverpool. Do, do you forget the one minute where he actually uh, scored that wonderful goal against uh, Everton in the Merseyside derby, which won them the game? Or, you know. Well, I think that's what Poch has just been watching on replay to be considering him. So, Well, that that's Steve Arcarigi's highlights package for the whole season. Just, just five seconds of brilliance. Um, the problem, they're not going to turn to Vincent Yance, and they've already, uh, they've already stated as much, so he can go wherever he likes, I'm guessing. Um, I guess the options are they've got Lorente, but they really wanted to get rid of him in this transfer window. Uh, Lucas Moore is coming back from the injury, so he could be a bit sluggish. I guess it leaves what I've been sort of hearing is perhaps Deli Alley up top as a striker. Um, there's various other, I guess, options they could look at maybe Ericsson up top. Um, if Moira is back, then obviously he can go up top because he did play that at the start of the season, of course. Um, Spurs' winning percentage isn't that bad without Harry Kane, to be completely honest. I had a look at that today. It's actually 3% higher um, than when he is playing. But obviously he scores, as you say, uh, what was it, 75% of the goals that Tottenham have scored over the last couple of years? Was that what, what you said before? I think you just added another 25% on top of that. But, okay. uh, yeah, no, well, why not? I think uh, you're right, though. Uh, Lucas Moura is probably going to be played up front, depending on his fitness. And um, also the, the schedule of Spurs, they, they play five games in 12 and a half days. And, I mean, unless one of those games gets postponed, that's a hell of a lot to 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 run into at this time without Kane, without Son. They've got a lot of injuries elsewhere. And I think you will find that it's going to be a mixture of those players, Ali, Mora, Lorente at times, and they're all going to get their chance. So hopefully they take it and, you know, we can get past this period as best we can. Well, I think you'd have to play Lorente um, in that FA Cup fixture for sure. Um, perhaps even even risk the Carabao Cup, perhaps, focus on the league because it's easy to, as we can see, Man United are almost in the mix um, for top four. So if you start dropping points, it can suddenly become from second to fifth pretty quickly. Yeah, but as you said, we've got a 1-0 lead against Chelsea. So I wouldn't be throwing in the towel there by any means. And the final for that isn't until March or... Maybe even late Feb. Well, I've got it. Okay, yeah, late Feb. Um, but yeah, that that's time enough to to get some to get some players' bodies back, and then yeah. So the EFL Cup's definitely not lost, and as I said, the Premier League schedule itself isn't that bad as in terms of opposition. So if there's any time to be struggling against the opposition we got coming up, now's the time. True. The big concern is Champions League. Yeah, of course. Now, we'll move on to another topic. One not particularly close to my heart, um, but it has to be addressed. Man United have, have they unlocked their potential? They've won seven straight, including uh, the FA Cup, 
and including finally a scalp in Tottenham, despite the fact that they did have a hell of a lot of shots scored against them. The cornerstones of this are three players that struggled this season under Mourinho. Paul Pogba has been instrumental in the turnaround with a point to prove. Marcus Rashford has been in sublime form and relishing his, uh, I guess, what you'd call coming of age, maturity, um, the leadership of leading the attack. And then David De Gea's suddenly realised his Superman form from previous seasons as well. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty staggering to uh, to look at the, the difference between Mourinho and Ole. And yeah, all of a sudden, Manu, they, they carry weight again, that name. It's it's not, oh, Manu under Mourinho. Yeah, this would be a bit of a joke. It's, yeah, they come to play now and they... They play attacking. Uh, Pogva has transformed back into the attacking midfielder. We always knew he would. And as you said, Ole put a lot of responsibility on Rashford's shoulders and he is absolutely flourishing. And yeah, maybe their defence is sort of under less pressure now because they're not defending all day. And uh, De Gea's having a little bit uh, of a better time back there, although Spurs did fire in 21 shots, all at De Gea's feet, I think. But uh yeah, they've definitely turned the corner and I think it just adds to how bad of an effect Mourinho has on any team. Yeah, and it's interesting to see that as staples of Mourinho's side like uh, Fellaini, um, Lukaku, all of those guys that are a bit slower and stagnate your play that are more defensive-minded are now nowhere near... They're either on the bench as a last-ditch sort of sub or they're completely left out of the squad. I think that shows a complete transformation from a defensive mindset of Mourinho to the attacking mindset and freedom of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. So there's still issues with their defence. There's no doubt about that. Um, and that's only going to be changed through um, a full pre-season, um, different players and um, tweaking of attack to defense. So there's still issues there, but the way they've come back and the way they've fought back is very Manchester United-like. Uh, Ferguson is pulling some strings behind the sh- uh, behind the scenes, which does not surprise me. Mike Phelan, who was Ferguson's assistant for so long, is also Solskjaer's assistant. So it's really a throwback to the old to the old days of Manchester United, which I think every Manchester United fan would be very happy about. And believe me, they've been making it known they've been very happy about because they've all of a sudden got a bit of a swagger about them, which I don't blame them for. But there's still plenty in the season to go. Yeah, I think it's fair enough, and they're also considering signing Ole long term now, which is which is great for Manu. We all, as soon as we heard that Mourinho was getting sacked, we did uh, shudder a bit because we knew it would wouldn't be too long before they turned around. So yeah, I think good on them. What I will say is word of warning though, because I've seen this all before with my own side. Doug Leash came in after Hodgson and there was an instant effect. I wouldn't say it was a run like what Manchester United are having, but it was a throwback. Doug Leash, club legend. Maxi Rodriguez started scoring hat-tricks. Suarez was scoring for fun. It was all fun and games, and all of a sudden we went from somewhere like 12th to 6th and pushing for top four. Next season came along, full season, and it fell apart. So word of warning that 
that can happen as well. There can be an instant effect and it can last for four or five months, but then a full season is where you see what they're truly capable of. There are other options out there which they're looking at. Obviously, Pochettino's one. There's also Diego Simeone, which I think would be... I don't want to say a backward step because Diego Simeone is a fantastic manager with Atletico Madrid and with what he can do with him. But he's more of that balanced style. He's not really attacking. He's more, I don't want to attack too much. I don't want to defend too much. He's more middle of the park. Um, Is Zidane still in the conversation, do you think? He's dropped off the conversation. So I don't know what that means, whether his representatives have cooled off a bit on that whether it's quite behind the scenes and he is making a play, don't know. But what I will say is whoever is in charge going forward from next season, Ferguson will have a say in who it is. Yeah, okay. Well, that's uh, good news for Man U fans, I'm sure. All right, so we're going to go to the other end of the table. And one of the feel-good stories of a couple of seasons ago was a club that hadn't been in the top flight for so, so long. Somehow got there. Managed to survive last season against all odds through the exploits of one of our Aussie boys, uh, Aaron Moy. They're sorely missing him now. But should Huddersfield have seen the writing on the wall with David Wagner? Because they've parted ways this week. Should they have seen the writing on the wall with Wagner and bitten the bullet like Fulham did um, earlier and gotten in Ranieri like Southampton did? and got in in Hudel. Both we've seen effects. Fulham, maybe not as much. Southampton, definitely. Is it too late for them? They've lost something like six or seven on the trot. Yeah, they're really struggling. And I think more importantly to that is the teams that they've lost to are all around them. They lost to Fulham three games ago, Burnley, and then only managed to get a draw against Cardiff. So the points that they were going to be taking off their rivals hasn't come. And they're probably going to start facing some tougher opposition now. So I think they have left it too late. And you definitely made note of it at the start of the season when they didn't make any signings. So, yeah, they were always going to struggle to back up what they did last year. And as you said, Moy's out. So that's huge in terms of their attacking threat. So, yeah, they're going to really struggle to, to make an impact from here. Yeah, even though they've parted ways with Wagner, I think it's I think it's the almost the point of no return. They 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 are almost one point off three games being out of the relegation zone, which is huge. Fulham are almost getting to that point, but they're only two games out. Once you get to that three four stage, it's almost good night. Um, I've only ever seen one side come back from an absolutely horrible position where you thought they couldn't survive, and that was West Brom in, a, in about 2006. So that's how long ago it was. You rarely see it, and I can't see it with Huddersfield as much as I want to. I think they're already preparing, and that's why they've got rid of Wagner. I think they're already preparing for the championship. I think they know. Um, and you say the games are going to be coming um, a lot harder, it doesn't get any harder than a Man City side back in form uh, at the Etihad. Actually, sorry, at home. But, but that's also a bad thing. But that's also a bad thing because it's still Man City. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not looking good for any Huddersfield fans out there. So, yeah, I think pack your bags, get ready for championship. So, speaking of title, speaking of Man City, that brings me to my next question. The title challenge. 
who blinks first? Now, I've been listening to a few things in that a few experts think that Liverpool are more equipped to surprise teams, especially with their pace on the counter-attack, whereas they think Man City are a bit more balanced in their build-up. I, I don't see either argument. I think both sides are equally adept with that. Defensively, I think, despite my bias, I think Liverpool are slightly stronger, uh, even though they've lost Trent Alexander-Arnold now as well. Uh, Lovren's been out. Uh, Matip's been out. Gomez has been out. Um, the only two ever presents have been Van Dijk and Robertson over the last probably three, three to four weeks. Um, it's going to be interesting. Liverpool do have now, with being knocked out of the FA Cup, which I feel is a blessing in disguise personally, have a seven-day break. Then there's FA Cup weekend coming up after this weekend, which then allows them, they play on the 19th against Crystal Palace, which is this weekend, and then not till the 31st. Gives them a 12-day break, allows Klopp to probably go on a mini break somewhere nice and hot like Dubai or somewhere like that, realign their tactics, or even Spain somewhere, you know, nicer weather. Well, Dubai is probably too hot. Yeah, probably. Okay. Anyway, somewhere with a warmer climate, I'll say. Warmer. We'll go just go with warmer climate. Um, realign the system structures and tactics that he enforces like a mini preseason. Yeah, look, I think the best thing in Liverpool's favour right now is, as you said, their scheduling. They don't have the FA Cup to worry about. They will have Champions League, but that's not for another month. And, uh, yeah, they've got about a week's gap between each each game. So they're going to be fresh. They're going to be playing their best lineup. They've got a pretty, uh, we'll say moderate schedule, but they've got three of the next four at home. So, yeah, they're looking pretty good. In terms of City, they're now starting to get back a lot of their players from injury. They're going to have Mendy back soon. De Bruyne is just starting to find his feet again. So to quote a popular TV show, winter is coming and City definitely will be, that's for sure. So they've got everything that they need to make that final push come the end of the season. And yeah, it could come down to games against each other, which is really going to split them and against the other form teams of the comp. The other aspect that might come into play is if, Man City go deep in the Champions League. There's a consensus that Pep's being pushed from above to put the Champions League ahead of the Premier League. Yeah, okay. Well, they didn't get it, the biscuits last year, so maybe that's a little bit of a sore point for them. And it's something that in this era of dominance for them as a team and for Pep as a manager, that's something that he really needs to tick off just to salute as one of the all-time great managers for City and in, as we said, a great era for, for City. So we know where my bias lies. I'm going to ask you where you think it may end up. Bearing in mind both sides have to go to their most hated rivals at Old Trafford. Look, I'm going to be kind to you and I'm going to say I like Liverpool and I think... Their defence, how much they've turned that around from seasons past, Van Dyke being the absolute cornerstone of that defence, they've only let in 10. And 
I think based on that, as well as what they can do up front with the Fabulous Three, I really like them as a team. As long as they can stay fit, we wouldn't want any key injuries to either end of the pitch, even though there has been many in the in the defence. As long as the front three stay fit, I think that they can hold City at bay. But City certainly do have more than enough to uh, to run them over. All right, interesting, interesting. I like it. So that's going to lead us into game week twenty three. Starting to get to uh, towards that game week thirty eight, where I can finally rest for a couple of months. Um, kicks off with an interesting clash. I'm, I'm giving it the bronze medal game of the week. It's Wolves at home at a nice price of two twenty five, thanks to the lovely blokes at Labrokes. Versus Leicester at three forty with the draw paying three ten. Wolves are an interesting, interesting team. They can raise their game for the top four, no worries at all. And you think, wow, these guys are good, they're brilliant, they're hitting their straps. And then they play Huddersfield and they lose 2-0. And you think, what the hell happened there? And I'm not talking about away from home, that was at home. Yeah, that still stings, that one. Um they are a bit of an enigma, as you just stated there, and Leicester could be one of those teams that sort of trouble them a little bit, perhaps, because maybe they won't be on guard as much as uh, they are against the top four. Uh, last week was a bit of a shame, really, to see Bolly get sent off, and then we didn't really see... Now, now I just want to say, very reminiscent, Bolly, to Vincent Company on Salah. Different ref, different day. This is what I was trying to say to a few of um, the footballing friends that I have, per se, that company's challenge can be interpreted differently by another ref. And that's exactly what happened where Bolly has pretty much an identical challenge yet gets sent off. Gets the wall first? Yes. Yeah, interesting. Um, I thought that it was... Wasn't that bad, but in slow mo, you can see the studs are clearly up. So he had to get the send off, and yeah, it was disappointing because it would have been really good to see how Wolves would have gone um, for the rest of the match with with a full squad because we know they they can take it to the top teams. Um, this one here is a very very tough one to gauge. I think Leicester have had some pretty good moments, um, and. Vardy and Madison, they they not a bad duo, those two. So I'm probably leaning towards a draw here. I think both sides have had some good good arsenal and, and maybe it could be a score draw. Yeah, look, Wolves and Leicester. I mean, Leicester also raised their game for the top sides, having beaten Chelsea and Man City, but then lose to Southampton 2-1. Um, just ruining whatever multi I may have had last weekend as well, which is therefore now I'm banned from self-imposed from betting on Leicester at all. Um, I really don't know with this one, but I have put Wolves as a, as a lock without any confidence. The only thing I'll say with Wolves is there was an interesting theory that there's a... that Touching on that, how can they be a lock if you don't have any confidence? I just feel they're going to raise their game because they know Leicester are very similar to them. What, what I will say is that... 
there's an interesting theory with Wolves is that you look at a lot of their players and the reason why perhaps they raise their games against the top clubs is they're not going to be at Wolves forever. So guys like Ruben Neves are using Wolves, Ruben Neves, Raul Jimenez, Matt Doherty, all of those guys are using Wolves as a stepping stone to a higher top six club or a higher league like Spain, France, Germany, one of the top clubs there. Therefore, when they play the top six, they're looking at that as going, I can put myself in the shop window. If I put in a good performance here, they'll remember that. They'll look at signing me. Yeah, it's not a bad point, actually. And Rui Patricio as well. And it holds up too because, as you said, they play better against the top teams, it seems. And Leicester's a bit the same. But I'm going to, go, I'm going to lock in Wolves. I'm going to lock them in. And at home, I'm definitely going to lock them in and hope that they aren't going to cop a band like Leicester. Are you sure you don't want to get the key out and just start jimming open that lock? Just change it to, to something else? Maybe a string? Yeah, no, no, no. That's all right. We'll move on to our silver medal match. Get excited. It's uh, Bournemouth versus West Ham at the Vitality. Yeah, actually, this will be a pretty exciting match, I reckon. Uh, both teams definitely capable of scoring. They've uh, got some decent threat up front. And uh, it's interesting, actually, to, to know what's going to happen with Anatovic because uh, he gave a pretty interesting farewell when he got subbed off in in the 70th minute, having one shot to his name. It didn't really warrant much of a, of a wave around, but he did that. Um, also, interestingly, Nazri has come back in some pretty good form too. So maybe he can uh, add, add to that and build on some working towards some really top form. Yeah, Pellegrini knows him well from his uh, Man City days as well. And that's a signing that, um, yeah, we, we were meant to touch on that Sammy Nasri's come back after an 18-month ban for doping. And he's actually looked reasonably good for being a guy that's been out of the game for a, um, for a fair while and also looked to do a, a little bit more defensive work than perhaps he previously had. So maybe it's just maturity, perhaps that time out. Um, Bournemouth 240 here at home, West Ham 275, the value in the draw at 350. I'd almost lean towards a score draw or a West Ham upset. Yeah, I'm thinking along similar lines there. I think uh, I'm not 100% sure on Wilson's status or availability for this game. If he misses then, yeah, I'd definitely lean towards a draw or West Ham win. If uh, if Wilson plays, then I'd, I don't mind Bournemouth. Yeah, lead, I, yeah I'm going to go with what I said and leads us into a game at Anfield where Liverpool play Crystal Palace. Now, normally you'd lock it in and you'd go Liverpool every day of the week. But there is that sort of little voice in the back of the head where Crystal Palace pulled it out of the bag against Man City at Man City, and you go, could lightning strike twice? Well, if uh, Townsend's got another welding in him like he did that one time, uh, maybe you could be in a bit of trouble, but I think uh, this would be a formality for Liverpool. And with Trent Alexander-Arnold out, we think that maybe Fabinho will slide into the right back. and Or James be, Milner. And should be no worries. So hopefully they still hold up well in defence and... Uh, regulation 2-3-0 victory here against Palace. Yeah, I'll back them in, but um, there's just a nagging thought with just that result against City and the fact that it's Woy Hodgson and his hatred of Liverpool from those dark days. How are you going to hold up for the next 15 game weeks if you've already got these sort of thoughts about Crystal Palace? 
I'm not, let's be honest. Anyway, that takes me to the next game. Now, this is what I call a formality. It's Manchester United at home at Old Trafford against Brighton on a seven-game winning streak. This has got 3-0, 4-0, possibly more written all over it. Yeah, I'm liking that as well. I think United, with the way that they've been playing under Ole Gunnar, uh, yeah, this is definitely going to be a Man United win and... Probably, yeah, could be a heavy heavy sort of scoreline, maybe three, maybe even four. Yeah, it could be almost as many as what Aaron Finch scores in the one day at six. Well, wouldn't that be nice? I think uh, well, that might benefit us a fair bit in uh, terms of fantasy. Yeah, sorry about that. I, I couldn't resist the dig. Uh, that's going to move us along. I think that's pretty much a, a foregone conclusion, that one. This one's got a bit of interest. I haven't managed to sneak it into the top three. Um, but Newcastle and Cardiff... This is a this is what you call a six point relegation game because literally they will change positions. Um, Newcastle dollar ninety five at home with no real confidence. Three twenty the uh, the draw and four dollars on um, on Cardiff. Uh, Man United by the way were a dollar thirty in the previous fixture. Yeah, uh, I know why you didn't include it in the medal match because no one's actually really going to want to watch this, but. It is a huge game for both clubs owing to that, the relegation zone. And Newcastle have been on a bit of a slide, which is disappointing. Um, but I do have a little bit of confidence that at home they're a better outfit and Cardiff not really threatening the scorers at all. And uh, maybe Newcastle get a 1-0 victory. This is the type of game which Cardiff are written off in, like they were against Leicester, and somehow pull it off 1-0. That's why I've got them in the upset stakes with West Ham. I just There's just that nagging feeling that Warnock can just pull it out of the bag. And he has done against Rapper before. So, it's, whoa, Cardiff at $4 are juicy. Yeah, okay, fair enough. I can see where you're coming from. Um, yeah, I think I'm just holding on to hope. I've got a mate that I work with that goes for Newcastle. He's- oh, he's a poor bastard, sorry. He's a good man, so I hope they win for him. Yeah. Um, the, you know what this has got the hallmarks of? A 1-0 Cardiff with a Sean Morrison goal. That's what it's got the hallmarks of. I'm feeling I it. I think you're dreaming, mate. All right. Southampton-Everton is the next one from South uh, from St. Mary's with the Hassan-Hutl factor, having them as a 255 favourite. Yeah, that's strange against Everton. Wow. I think I'll be dipping into them for sure. Yeah. Uh, Southampton, if they do, they do actually regain a bit of firepower though because Charlie Austin will be back from suspension. Um, Ings started last week and maybe his body is ready to contribute more and Ings might even be back as well. Jeez, suddenly they're spoiled for options after Shane Long found form. Um, Everton 270 away from home. If you like the Richarlison, Sigurdsson, Calvert-Lewin factor. Yeah, I do. I really like that, actually. So, yeah, I think Everton win this, um, even with Southampton having a little bit of a mid-season revival. Um, yeah, I do definitely like Everton. Southampton have turned it around. I'm going to go that it's going to be a draw and James Ward-Prowse might just continue scoring streak. So, Watford and Burnley uh, at Vicarage Road is the next one, and that's... Uh, Almost your late game. That's one of your middle-of-the-road Sunday morning games at 1.30 a.m. Uh, Watford, 162. The draw, 3.80. Burnley, 5.25. It's no doubt in my mind uh, Sean Dyche will just pack up shop 
and try and stop Watford from, from scoring. That's how they've turned their season around, is based on their defence again. Well, that's what helped them last year, and they got as far as Europa qualifiers. So, uh, And not many teams have won three in a row. There's only a handful. Maybe they are a, one of three teams that have won three in a row. So they're, all, they're one of the form teams of the competition, if you can believe that, after the start they had. But uh, maybe their team's just starting to gel again, and... Maybe they could uh, get a shutout here and get a draw. In saying that, I'm going to back your man, Troy Deeney, and I reckon he's going to score, and I reckon Watford are going, to, are going to get up in that one. Which brings us to the gold medal match, the late game on the Sunday morning at about 4 a.m. If you're keen to get up early for it or go to bed early and then get up for it, uh, Arsenal and Chelsea... Not a game I can say I'm really excited about, but these two have produced monumental clashes over the years. And there was a, there was a factor where uh, Wenger couldn't beat Mourinho, no matter how much Wenger tried, um, which really increased the rivalry. Um, Arsenal at home are 290 outsiders, believe it or not. Um, I guess points to recent form. 350 the draw, which is where I'd be looking at. And Chelsea are $2.30 favourites. Yeah, um, I actually am excited about this because it adds to the rivalry, as you said, and they are four and five on the table and it has huge implications for whatever way it goes. Um, probably more the f- if Arsenal managed to beat Chelsea, it uh, really cr- creates some uh, traffic in the four, five and six positions and also helps out Spurs. Um, so, yeah, I think both teams have their moments. And I think uh, Eden Hazard is going to be the player to watch in this game because these are the sort of players that Arsenal find tricky as little tricksters that sort of zip in and out. He might be able to draw a penalty. He might be able to just scoot on past the defenders. And I think uh, this could be a nice little 2-1 victory to Chelsea. You're not pointing fingers at the Arsenal defence, surely. I wouldn't do that. That's no, that's, that's my job. Um, yeah, well, they do struggle to contain players like that. We saw it. Socrates just hacking down Salah in the box. No matter how much he tried to protest, he hacked him down. Um, they just, yeah, they don't cope well with pace. Having said that, it'd be interesting to see how Chelsea's defence cope with the likes of Obama Young and Lacazette. So it's still got a lot of... Uh, and that's why I've made it the gold medal match because it's a London derby and it's got huge consequences. So I'm going to back, and I've written it down, I'm going to back it as the draw. I just feel it could be a one-all or a two-all. You're right, Has someone like Hazard or Aubameyang could settle it. They've definitely got that world-classed um, nature about them, but I just feel it's got draw written all over it. Which takes us to our really exciting Monday games, which is why they haven't made the gold medal, silver medal, bronze medal. Huddersfield and Man City, early on the Monday morning at midnight. Yeah, this is a game I'm not really excited about because I can just see Man City putting together a cricket score and putting a huge dent in the goal difference gap between City and Liverpool. Yeah, nothing much more really needs to be said about that. I think... uh... This is City back to their best. Maybe De Bruyne gets his uh, first start for the season or thereabouts. And he's going to be as keen as anyone to, to make an impact. And just from one Pep, that is a star of the game. And yeah, 4 0.
Yeah. Normally I say, look, you know, have a fiver on someone at that sort of odds at $23, but um, I'd say keep your money in your pockets. We did say that about Crystal Palace though when they went on to beat them, of course. Yeah, but I actually said it that put put a fiver on them, it could be worth it, um, except we didn't put the fiver on. Uh, whereas, um, yeah, this one, no. $8 a draw, Man City $1.14. Jeez, if you can get... Any better than $1.14, you're doing well. Um, moves us on to the last game of the round. This could be a absolute banana skin. Fulham at home, four sixty. The draw, three sixty. Tottenham, $1.75. But is it the sort of game that, given everything that's happened, could Tottenham drop their bundle? Potentially. Everyone's talking about it, but... As you said, the Spurs tend to uh, steal themselves and resolve when all the, the cards are stacked against them and Kane goes down, which happens every year. And, yeah, we should beat Fulham here. No dramas. Um, obviously, it's going to be a lot more difficult. And I spoke to you earlier in the week about what sort of implications it would have for Tottenham's defence. And you seem to think that maybe they might revert to more of a defensive mindset because they don't have Kane and Son, and uh, it might sort of strengthen their defence and try and catch teams on their counter-attack now. Yeah, which I think might happen. So, look, I'm going to back your boys in. I'm going to back them in, and um, I haven't been wise enough to put them as a lock, but I'm going to back them in. So my locks are Wolves, Man United, Man City, and Liverpool. As a multi, you get $4 on that. Yeah, that's not bad. Um, I think also it's going to be interesting to see how Tottenham do rejig their lineup and how they are going to be playing moving forward. So that's going to be as interesting as the, the result, I think. Um, as far as the locks go, for me, I reckon, yeah, any one of Man U, Man City or Liverpool. Uh, wouldn't be having Wolves in there, but, uh, yeah, pick pick your three. Um, that's probably going to get you about a dollar Seventy, maybe. Well, that's why I put Wolves in there. Bumped it up to four bucks, mate. Now, um, best value for mine: Watford at dollar sixty-two, aren't bad at home, and Bournemouth at two forty at home. If Wilson plays, um, are your best value? As I alluded to, my upset: Cardiff at uh, four dollars, quite good. Uh, West Ham as well at two seventy-five. If Wilson doesn't play, and the draws I looked at were Arsenal and Chelsea, I think, uh, ripe at three fifty, and also again Newcastle, Cardiff, um, three dollars twenty look good for a draw as well. Even though I've suggested Cardiff as an upset, I think you can go both. Yeah, I think um, West Ham look good value at two seventy five. Uh, Cardiff as well, as you said, a good value as far as value goes. Um, but the upset and the value bet for me is definitely Everton. Yeah, so it's going to be another interesting weekend of the Premier League. We look forward to watching it, and we look forward to speaking to you next time on the Sporting Ones podcast. Till then.